What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. That makes this Stuff You Should Know the podcast. I'm walking like an Egyptian. You sure were. <laughs> you nailed that, too. Jerry and I were singing the old Steve Martin King Tut song, and you were like, what is that? I know what it is. I'm, I just I'm young. I don't know that. Don't know the <laughs> lyrics. Yeah, you were you were on the cusp there. That was that was a big deal when I was a kid. No, I was like two when I think when that came out. Yeah, you, you missed it by a few years. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't like 25 and going to see Steve Martin or anything. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like 60. <laughs> so, Chuck, yes. I know you're familiar with Steve Martin, but are you familiar with? A little boy king by the name of King Tutankhamun. Yes, I am. Are you? Yeah. Well, let's rap about him, man. Did you go see the exhibit? No. No? The Discovery one in Times Square? Uh, Well, it, it travels, you know. Oh, yeah. No, Ubi saw that one. I didn't see it, though. Yeah, it's cool. I saw Bodies. That was pretty neat. I think I told you about that. I didn't see Bodies yet. I did the dialogue really in the dark crazy. thing, though. Yeah, we talked about this. That's disappointing. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bodies was pretty cool, but you're like, wow, this is really nuts. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't see King Tut, did you? Yes. Did you know there's a Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit now in Times Square? Discovery has, you know, Discovery has like this, basically like a museum, like a, a an exhibition show in Times Square. Oh, yeah? And the newest one is the Dead Sea Scrolls, like the Dead Sea Scrolls are there in Times Square right now. You can go sign your name on it. <laughs> <laughs> Kilroy was here. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's get back to King Tut, because we got a little off topic, if you ask me. Um, I'm going to tell you what I know about King Tut. Okay. And then you tell me what you know, and we'll combine the two. Hey, that's the show. So, like, for example, um, I found out that King Tut was an avid chariot racer. Did you know that? I did. He was buried, apparently, or entombed, I should say, with six chariots. Yeah. It's kind of like your uber-wealthy boy president, right? who's like 16 and then, you know, dies at age 18, is buried with like his eight Camaros or something. Yeah. That's kind of what they did with King Tut. Yeah. He was also an avid ostrich hunter. Yeah. He used to hunt in the desert with just him and his dog. And his chariot. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, he also married his sister and had two babies with her, both of the, both of which were um, 
born prematurely and died. Yeah, there's a lot of inbreeding going on back then. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors that he was inbred, or a lot of speculation, or I should say a lot of factual conjecture that he was himself also inbred. Yeah. Um, and they think that there's this huge mystery going on right now that he was club-footed. Did you know that? I did not know that. So they they think that he may have been club-footed, which would definitely support the inbreeding um Argument, not that people who have club feet are inbred, right? But I think if you are inbred, uh, you're likelier to have something like a club foot. Okay, but they can't tell. It looks like he's club footed, but his his cadaver, his corpse, has been so mistreated over the decades since it was discovered <laughs> yeah. that um, they can't tell if somebody just broke his foot or if it he was born that way. Yeah, yeah. club foot. Is that all you got? Sure. Yeah, that's all right, guys. We should volley it. Uh, he was short. He had a weird shaped head. You ever seen a skull? Uh, no. It's it looks like an egg. It's really weird looking. And they measured it and found that it it just qualifies as quote normal. But oh. uh, he uh, all all the paintings back then showed all the the pharaohs and the Egyptian uh, pharaohs had these weird shaped heads, and they thought. Well, those are just the artists. But then they found his skull, and they were like, no, he has a weird-shaped head. So Eric Von Daken here would say something like, well, it's because aliens came down and bred with them. Who's that? The guy who wrote um, Highways of the Gods, I believe. I didn't know that. Runways of the Gods. Basically, the 70s dude who uh, who printed all these books, basically saying that the ancient Egyptians were in contact with aliens that oh, taught them sure. all this stuff. And there's all this evidence throughout, like hieroglyphics and things like, you know, Tutankhamun's skull or whatever right. that show that aliens came down and bred with the Egyptians. And that's how human civilization just advanced by leaps and bounds. I believe it already, just from that. But anybody who disliked our <laughs> acupuncture podcast but yeah. still came back for more, just turn that off at the mention of his name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how he died, though, because that's the big, you know, we know that he ruled, he was the boy king from 9 to 19, and then just died. Yeah. And over the years, there have been some uh, theories, and the leading three theories was uh, one, that he died from war wounds. Uh, two, that he died in a chariot accident. That seems possible. Or because of a chariot accident. Yeah. And the third was uh, murder, that he was clubbed in the back of the head. Or poisoned. I didn't see the poison one. I saw poisoning. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. So the club one, uh, well, l- l- let's get into this then. There was a lot of political intrigue going on, and there were people that may have wanted him dead. Well, yeah, one of the high priests um, inherited the throne after Tut's death. And they were all in a very close close position to have murdered him if they wanted to. And he owned a big club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Case closed. Used to carry. They called him Clubby. Right. <laughs> Clubby, the high priest. Um, so his body has been. Uh, we'll get to the beginning, but it was found at first in the twenties, and just mangled. They mangled this dude. Yeah, they think now the hole in the head was when they were taking off his ceremonial mask. Oh, really? They punctured a hole in his head. That's Jeez. where the hole came from. Well, he was, he was, they used a lot of like resins and things back then to help, uh, mummify the body. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he was stuck to the coffin. And, uh, Howard Carter, who was the, the lead chief archaeologist on this dig, um, had his guy heat up a knife and was just like cutting through his body. And in the end, they, you know, there were like dozens of fractures and they couldn't tell 
you know, are these fractures here because his team mismanaged it, or were they real fractures? Right. So the mystery, like, builds up over the years. Yeah, he had a broken leg, too. And they well, think that yeah. could have been from the chariot accident, could have been from that dude. Well, not the anymore. Knife. They proved that it was pre-mortem. Okay. And so, it started to heal? Well, it started to react. It wasn't healing yet, but... Uh, all this came about because a, a unnamed TV network funded a uh, like a million dollar dig to make this show, mm-hmm. the Secrets of Tutankhamun or something like that, and they got a CT, a CAT scan, uh, on site, a portable one, and for the first time were able to run his body or what was left of it through a CAT scan, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. And uh, they found out a few things. Uh, he had a severely impacted wisdom tooth. Ouch. And you should have seen it. It was like gr- literally growing sideways in his mouth. Oh, that had to hurt. I know. They said it most definitely hurt. Uh, but through the CT scan, they were able to find there was no sign of infection. So that didn't kill him. Uh, he had the weird-shaped skull. But they uh, were shown that that wasn't because of wrapping. They do a lot of like head wrapping when they uh-huh. were babies. Yeah. But they said that that's just the way their family skull was shaped, maybe because of inbreeding. Uh, they found he had no sternum or rib cage. What? And uh, but through the CT, they found that the ribs were shown to be cut away and oh, not yeah. fractured. Yeah, remember we? I, I don't remember talking about removing the ribs, but remember we talked about them getting the internal organs out and then restuffing it in the yeah, mollification yeah. episode. Totally. Four-inch fracture in the back of the skull, not related to the uh, the little coin-sized hole. And uh, later on, they found out that that wasn't actually a fracture. It was just where the skull wasn't fully fused because he was still a kid. Wow. So it's just a line. So they learn all this stuff. They end up uh, finding that the fracture was shown to be pre-mortem because they found embalming uh, resin inside the fracture. And if it would have happened afterward, it, it wouldn't have like gone in the route that it went in. Uh, showed that it was beginning to react, which means it was healing. And they eventually found out that they think he died between one and five days after this leg fracture, which could have been a compound fracture, which they think might have been infected. Mm-hmm. So that's the leading theory. I didn't see anything on this uh, bone disease in this special, though. Did you find out about that? No, but it, I, no, I, I've seen that before, and it has to do with inbreeding as well. A vascular bone necrosis, mm-hmm. uh, which is a degenerative bone disease, so... Oh, and there's also malaria. People say malaria. Yeah, I didn't see that in the special either. The broken bone thing, though, is like, uh, I mean, that makes sense. Of course you could die from an infected bone back then. Yeah, and his kneecap was gone on that leg. It was just... Man, that must have been a bad accident. Yeah, so they think it could have been a chariot, or they think he could have been hurt in battle, which is why the chest was all messed up, too. Like, after he was down on the ground, they were just, like, pummeling him. Or it was clubby. Or it was clubby. Priest. Which is not true. So, um, just King Tut's death alone is a—it's considered a world mystery, as far as I understand. I'd certainly consider it that. Yeah, less of a mystery now, though. Um, one of the reasons why it was—he's such a celebrated king—is because of his tomb. His tomb was the first and only um, royal tomb found that contained, like. Just vast riches, like everything that the Egyptologists, which were basically like um, antiquities-crazed Westerners who were running all over Egypt yeah. and, and um, bribing officials to get stuff out of the country. And it was a strange time. But 
also you could call it the birth of archaeology. Um, the the uh, Egyptologists had always hoped for a find like this. Yeah, th- it was the only one that hadn't been raided like outright. Supposedly, there's a lot of speculation around that too, which we'll get to. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, there 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 was supposedly um, it had been looted at least twice. And uh, Howard Carter, the guy who led the dig that found um, King Tut's tomb, uh, suggested that it was in ancient times. These, the Valley of the Kings, we should say, is this um, area in Luxor that qualifies as a necropolis, right. which is a city of the dead. Yeah. And it was a functioning city of the dead. There were a bunch of different tombs. There were local officials and administrators and a local police force. And it was a very sacred place that was off-site. But Howard Carter alleged that at least once, or at least twice, possibly more times, thieves had um, breached King Tut's tomb in ancient times and had looted it, but to an extent. They didn't make it all the way in. See, I saw that they weren't looted, but they were they broke in but didn't have a chance to loot it. That's oh, he said. said they looted all sorts of stuff. He was basically saying, like, they looted this, and then he was very specific. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but the, the, when, when Carter found the, uh, King Tut's tomb, it's called, uh, KV62. It was the 62nd tomb found in the Valley of the Kings. There's still a bunch of them out there, too. Well, yeah, but the, the most recent one they found was KV63, and that was just in the last couple decades, I believe. Yeah, I think they said they find one every 10 to 20 years at this point. Oh, really? Yeah. So KV62 was found in the 20s, and KV63 was found in the 21st century. It's a big gap. Yeah. Um, so it was a big deal when they found King Tut's tomb, which is one reason why I celebrated. The riches inside were another reason. But um, I think there was like 4,000 objects that they found inside this, um, his his royal tomb. It was the big daddy. But the, one of the other things that has made King Tut so famous is the supposed curse that was upon his tomb that supposedly befell a large number of people who were either present when the tomb was breached or were connected familially or um, financially to the people who were there. Right. Including a dog. The cur- Susie? I don't know the dog's name. Susie. Was it really? Yeah. Okay. You think I just made that up? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like something I would say. I would have named it Susie. You know, Susie had three legs. She was a three-legged oh, really? dog. Oh, I love three-legged dogs. Yeah. I want one. Well, you would have loved Susie. Well, yeah, until Susie died. So let's talk about this, Chuck. Let's talk about the curse on King Tut's tomb. Yes, uh, it all started with uh, the the financier, financier, excuse me, behind the uh, the whole operation, or Carter's operation was uh, Lord uh, Carnarvon, and he was a very rich guy. He was in very bad health. He'd had a really bad car accident, and apparently was just kind of a wreck of a human, like. During the dig, he would sit in a suspended cage lined with gauze. <laughs> I'm serious. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. He was in that bad of health uh, until they actually opened it, and then he was like, I got to get in there. Huh. So he actually went in. Yeah, he um he made it from uh, England to Egypt in, like, record time. He took a um, a ship, a train, and a steamer down the Nile to get to Luxor. Oh, once he found out that they were making headway? Yeah, and he got there in like two weeks. Which was like... <laughs> That's like really, really fast, fast back then, especially if like you normally sit around in a suspended cage filled with gauze. <laughs> Lined with gauze. I kept trying to picture that. I wish I had a picture I of it. I wish I couldn't picture it. Like, oh, I, yeah? I feel like I'm going to vomit <laughs> a little bit. 
especially like old timey wicker, you know, like those old wheelchairs that are so disturbing. Yeah. From like the, the turn of the century. Oh yeah. Those are so <laughs> creepy. <laughs> so, uh, what happened to him was he had a mosquito bite on his cheek. He shaved one day with a straight razor and cut that mosquito bite open mm-hmm. and, uh, died because of blood, a blood disease from infection. Well, you're leaving a big point out. This was two months after he was there at the opening of King Tut's tomb. Not so. Oh, okay. N- yeah, this is breaking news. He had actually, uh, snuck in. Th- this is oh, when I they, saw this too. Yeah, this is the unofficial un- unveiling, but, uh, four months previous, yeah. they poked their head in to take a look around, I think. So. So it's actually six months later. I heard it was, and by Lord Carnivan's, um, own, uh, words. Uh-huh. They did a lot more than poke their head in. Oh, really? They party? Basically, they partied. Like, they, they went, supposedly, this is how Carter told it, and this is how he kept his job and his reputation still to this day. Right. They, they opened the door just a little bit enough so he could peek in, and mm-hmm. he saw that there were so many riches. Right, right. He pulled the door shut and went and alerted the Egyptian antiquities authorities, right? Okay. Which is exactly what he was supposed to do. Sure. Lord, uh, Carvanon, uh, said, no, actually, we pushed the door, Carnivon. <laughs> Is it Carnivon? Yeah. He said Carnivon. Yeah. Yeah. He said that they pushed the door open, went in, pushed another door open, went in, went as far as the shrine, um, pocketed a bunch of stuff. There's yeah, like sure. stuff in Kansas City. There's stuff in uh, Cleveland. There's things in at the Met, um, all, at the Louvre. On display? That Yes. Okay. That are definitively linked to King Tut's tomb that should not be there. Yeah. Because um, under the auspices of the agreement that ultimately fell between um, Carvanon, Carnivon, <laughs> and um, Egypt, they they were allowed to take nothing out. Wow! But they stole a lot of stuff. So yes, you're right. They entered in November, and then um, he died in April. Right. But in the meantime, though, and this definitely didn't help dispel any rumors of a curse. He kept losing his teeth, like one by one. His teeth were falling out before he died. I know the feeling. So imagine this Victorian-era dude in a wicker cage <laughs> with gauze, <laughs> losing teeth. Yeah. That's that's what he looked like in the months leading up to his death. Yeah, he was in bad shape. Uh, supposedly, at the moment of his death, the power, the power grid of Egypt failed. Yeah. Ooh. And then Susie. And then Susie. And then... Uh, well, Su- she died. Yeah. Back in England, they said that she bayed once and fell over dead. Yeah, they said she let out a howl and died. Yeah. And uh, Carter also had a pet canary that he got for good luck on this dig, mm-hmm. and it died on the day the tomb was officially opened. Some say it was killed by a cobra, which is a symbol of the pharaohs, mm-hmm. so it must be a curse. Crazy. Uh, the rumor started spreading uh, because this was a time when you couldn't readily get information so they think that journalists got a little, uh, took some liberties, started making up some more stories, spreading the word that it's actually a curse. Oh, they jumped all over it. The yeah. British press was crazy for this. But I think they actually made stuff up. Oh, I'm sure. Like they it wasn't just reporting. Yeah. Right. Um, they still do. Have you yeah, heard no of News of the World? <laughs> yeah. Um, and actually, I read two sources for this um, idea of a mummy's curse, Chuck. 
One was um, a, an American painter named Joseph Smith mm-hmm. who told a tale about King Tut's father-in-law. Not King Tut, but his father-in-law, um, Akhenaten. Akhenaten. One of the two. His father-in-law slash cousin, probably. Probably. Yeah. Um, Akhenaten, who was known as the heretic king because he um, he stopped worshiping all the old gods, the pantheon of gods, and just um, basically created an, a monotheistic religion based on just Ra. Yeah, that's a huge God. deal, too. Yeah. I thought that was his dad. It was his father-in-law? Yeah. Okay. Like you said. <laughs> What's the difference? Right. <laughs> um, the the um, priests, Clubby may have even been among them, right. <laughs> because King Tut came to the throne right after uh, Akhenaten. Um, he, uh, it, the priests cursed him to separate his body and his spirit forever. Uh-huh. So that's the, the a possible origin for the idea of a mummy's curse. Because think about it. There's probably times when nobody thought of mummies and curses going hand in hand. Sure. Um, then the other one comes from a short story called Lost in the Pyramid, colon, The Mummy's Curse, by none other than Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women. So she may have started the idea of a mummy's curse, too. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. You read Little Women? No. It's kind of a chick book. Remember, Mo Sislak read it. Oh, really? Yeah, he he was reading it to uh, an orphan, I think, and he starts crying at the end. <laughs> That's it's pretty, pretty funny. sweet. <laughs> All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. Hey, everybody. It's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website, whether it's an online course or custom merch. Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. So uh, the, this whole notion of a curse is that something was inscribed on the tomb. Uh, I've seen a couple of different versions. Uh, one is... They who enter the sacred tomb shall swift be visited by the wings of death. That's pretty cool. The other one was death will come on swift pinions to those who disturb the rest of the Pharaoh. Yeah. Uh, is it one or the other, or was it even there the, at all? There's a third one. Oh, really? Yeah. 
No shirt, no shoes, no <laughs> dice. Uh, so everyone in Europe and the United States at the time was really like they called it Egyptomania, which kind of bothered me. But that's really what was going on. Yeah. Like all things Egypt were really like enthralling at the time to the public. Right. Because it was just like they they seemed like a cult of death fetishists. Right. Yeah. And this is also the time when there were mediums holding seances all over like uh, America and England. So the Victorians were really into like death and like yeah. shrines to death and so this curse thing was it. like they loved that loved it oh yeah ate it up and it wasn't just um, Lord Carnarvon uh, who was the one who died it wasn't just him um, by 1926 which was three years after uh, they opened the tomb well a little over um, there were eleven people dead who were either at the um, opening of the tomb or were connected. And then by 1935, there were 21 dead. Westerners only, correct? Just Westerners. Yes. That's, that's it. That's, um, very good to bring up. There was, there've been two papers that have over the years that have debunked this. The first one came in 1933. Um, a German Egyptologist named uh, Jörg Stendorf. He was German. Um, (laughs) he, uh, he wrote a paper that basically said, Look, man, there is no mummy's curse. Um, these people who are dying, who are like struck by the curse, they're barely even connected to these people. Yeah. Um, some were more connected than others. Like um, Howard Carter's personal secretary died, um, and then his personal secretary's father killed himself. He left a note. His last words were, um, "It was the curse." <laughs> I really cannot stand any more horrors and hardly see what good I am doing here. So I am making my exit. And then he left out a window. He went out the window. Yeah. It sounds to me like he had uh, mental instability. That's possible. And was not cursed. Possibly. Okay. Um, but there, and there, there were some like uh, Lady Elizabeth Carnivon, who was actually there at the opening with her father, um, who I guess. Changed his gauze. That was her role. Yeah. Um, she died as well. So people connected were dying, but really, for the most part, it was just wild rumor and speculation, according to Professor Steindorf. And then we come to the 21st century, and a guy named Mark R. Nelson of Monash University in Australia created a paper that ran in the British uh, Medical Journal, which yeah. is pretty cool. Did you read it? I, well, I didn't read the whole paper. But, it was neat. Uh, he actually got a little more scientific with it and examined survival rates of uh, 44 Westerners identified by Carter as being in Egypt during the examination. So, And he just chose Westerners for a good reason. That was uh, if at the time Egyptians' lifespans would have been so radically different, average life expectancy would have been so different from sure. Westerners that it would have totally skewed the results. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah. And he also only included people that were there at the time because he worked on the assumption that it was the curse was a physical entity. So mm-hmm. only if you were there when the coffin was opened or present, then you would be af- afflicted by this curse. Right. And there were four opportunities to be afflicted by the curse by being present, right? Four official ones, yeah. And he actually, his whole paper is, is bunk because he has the wrong dates. He, he completely leaves out the first entrance. Well, that's what I was saying. Yeah. The one, the sneaky one? Yeah. Right. But so he's got uh, February 17th, 1923, which is the opening of the third door. This is supposedly the first time Carter and his expedition have gone into the shrine, into the tomb. 
But it's not. This is months after they've actually gone in and already started to loot it. Yeah, and it was found by accident, which is one of the cool things. Oh, no? No. Oh, I thought some kid happened upon the top step. Uh, supposedly, Carter's team came within a couple of centimeters of discovering it, and then Carter, they're working this one area for years and years and years, uh-huh. come within a couple of centimeters of discovering it, and then Carter's like, oh, let's stop working here. Let's move over there. And then right when uh, Carnivan says, that's it, I'm not funding your expeditions anymore, uh-huh. uh, Carter talks him into one more try, and yeah. then all of a sudden there's the... There's the tomb. So, ah, see, the show on, I saw said a kid found the step and told Carter. Right. One of Carter's workers came yeah. over and said, hey, I found it. But apparently Carter was like, oh, that's great. Good thing. Good way to go. Right. So, like he knew. He was, uh, he was supposedly not quite the, the gentleman adventurer that he's made out to be. Like, he was definitely a thief who sold antiquities, like, on the black market for his own personal gain. Well, it sounds like some Egyptian kid found the step and was like, hey, it's over here. Yeah. No, apparently he knew uh, where really? it was all along, yes. Well, that kid begs to differ. Right, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, and the reason it was so hard to find was because uh, during construction of other tombs, the... I mean, I guess you could call it a construction crew, an ancient construction crew, yeah. set up their home base on top of what was uh, Tut's tomb. Right. And so the ruins there kind of obscure things. And I think Tut was either in the 18th or 19th dynasty, do you know? 18th. So, and then the, the home base's construction crew were alive during the 20th dynasty. Yeah. So they that came much later. All right. So sorry about that sidebar. Back to the dates. February oh, yeah. February 17. Yep. 1923. February 3, 1926. Uh, the opening of the sarcophagus, yeah. October 10th, 1926, uh, opening of the coffins, and then November 11th, 1926, which was when they actually examined and mangled and broke apart the body. Because they had to get that gold off. They disattached the head from the body. Yeah. Like, I mean, they just mangled it. Yeah. All the bits. Um, and what, uh, what Mark Nelson found was that the these exposures were absolutely no predictor of early death at all. Right. And actually, I was looking at a graph he compiled. Um, if you were exposed three or more times, your chances of dying early actually decreased. <laughs> so that, he, that really, yeah, his data his data showed that um, of the twenty five Westerners present during an opening or an examination or both, um, they twenty five lived an average of 20.8 years after exposure. The other Westerners that were in Egypt at the time that were not exposed during those four times lived uh, 28.9 years. So Aha! Like an eight-year <laughs> difference, right? That was the curse, I think, was you shall die 8.1 years sooner. Exactly. <laughs> the mean age of death for people who were exposed to the curse, 70 years. For those who were unexposed, 75 years. You shall not see 71. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, great. Yeah. there's it's old. There's, um, yeah, especially back then. Oh, yeah. Who wants to be 75 in 1930? Not me. Not me either. Um, so there you have it. There was no curse. There was no curse. But it is possible that there is a scientific basis for people who were exposed to the tomb to have actually died younger than they sh- they would have otherwise had they not breached King Tut's tomb. That's right. And this special on this unnamed network also covered this. Uh, so what we're talking about, for the most part, are uh, bacteria, mold, fungus, 
trapped in these tombs, yeah. uh, breathes and, and, and multiplies upon hitting oxygen. So when they open these things up, perhaps these people get sick or people that were already sick get sicker and die. Yeah. And Carter was Makes actually, sense. he was aware that this was a possibility. He took air samples, he took spore samples, um, or he tried to take spore samples. He said that there was, like, the place was sterile. No, he said there was mold and fungi. Oh, okay. Well, but no bacteria. Okay. Um, he said his air samples were sterile, which is just absolutely impossible. But he made a point that, like, if Lord Carnivan did die of a, a bacteria or an infection, right. He was far likelier to pick it up in Cairo at the time than yeah. he was in King Tut's tomb. That, that makes sense. It does. And that's been confirmed. Yeah. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on. You know, true love is always being excited from the first moment you see one another. And every time after that, it's taking long walks together in the summer or gazing longingly into each other's eyes and watching their tail wag when they chase a squirrel in the yard. Well, the pedigree brand asked about believing in love at first sight. And honestly, the answer is yes. Uh, as everyone knows from listening to this show, we have pulled all of our dogs off the street that Emily and I have had over the years, either right off the street or through a local shelter and working with them. And they've all become valued family members. And we think they've appreciated it, too. Yeah, Chuck, there is a pedigree loyalty survey that found that 90 percent of first time dog owners report having a dog improved at least one of their relationships. And 80 percent of first time dog owners are overwhelmingly more likely to have made at least one new connection as a result of getting a dog. And 95 percent of all dog owners say that the bond they have with their dogs is closer than they ever expected. Not a big surprise. That's true. We all know that adopting a dog can lead to a lifetime meaningful connection and real love can exist between a pet and a pet parent. You got that straight. Pedigree is committed to helping more dogs find loving homes. Opening your home to a dog can help open your heart. And Love at First Sight is closer than you think because it's available at your local dog shelter. Yeah, very important point. You can find love at first sight with the Pedigree Adoption Drive from June 7th to June 9th. And the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. That's right. So just visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Um, there are some other deadly things that you might encounter if you were to breach a, a tomb that hadn't been opened in several thousand years. Um Formaldehyde, hydrogen yeah. sulfide, ammonia, they all build up from decomposition. Yeah. Um, one of the cool things that Carter noted um, upon entering the shrine, the, the 
coffin shrine uh-huh. made of gold. This thing was a room within a room, and this room was made of gold. Yeah, and there were coffins within coffins, too. Yeah, I think five of them, nesting yeah. coffins. Um, but on top of the outer coffin, I guess, which is the sarcophagus, there were still lotus flowers and berries that had been left, you know, however, how, when did King Tut live? I think that it was like 3,000 years earlier or so something. 3,000 years before, yeah. they left these lotus flowers on it and it hadn't been touched since, which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Um, these things also meet you know, you gotta have your meat yeah. when you're traveling through the afterlife. Well, that's the idea is that you wanna, that's why you had six chariots, is you wanna have everything you need for the next life. You wanna have your favorite Camaro. Or five. Um, the, these things de- decompose themselves. They can attract mold like Aspergillus niger and Aspergillus flavus. Um, and there was a bacteriologist working in the late 20th century who looked at medical records of workers um, like modern Egyptian workers yeah. at the Valley of Kings and found that a lot of them had been exposed to these things too. And apparently you can find those in tombs. So well, it's possible to be felled by that as well. Yeah. they they uh, On this uh, TV show I saw, they found another sealed tomb, which was the first one in like 20 years. Really? They did. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a, a pharaoh. Uh-huh. It was just like a priest or something. Okay. But uh, they found a sealed tomb. And they thought this is our opportunity to test a sealed tomb for pathogens. So they, uh, in in the tomb itself, they found like vast quantities of mold, like tons and tons of mold, toxic mold. And then for the actual coffin, they used a vacuum sampler to suck out an air sample before they even opened it from this two thousand year old grave. And Did they, they use like the Floby. I don't. I saw the thing. It was something like that. And uh, what they found was exactly what you said: formaldehyde, hydrogen sulfide, ammonia gas, all these toxic, uh, toxic fumes. But in the end, they don't think that it could have been at a high enough level to actually like kill somebody. Gotcha. So while it was present, while all that mold was there. Although, you know, if he was already sick, it certainly might have contributed. <laughs> he does He does He's sound a little sickly. Yeah. Um, and then one last one, another bacteriologist from Germany at the University of Leipzig um, conducted a study of 40 mummies and found that every single one of them contained potentially dangerous mold. So... Of course it does. It's possible, but unlikely. And it almost definitely was not a mummy's curse. I would say it very much definitely was not a it mummy's curse. It was the curse of Louisa May Alcott. It was the curse of science and mold growing. So there you have it, man. That's your answer. Was there really a curse on King Tut's tomb? N-O. Nope. Uh, if you want to learn more about it, you can type in King Tut. That'll bring up a bunch of stuff on the site. Um, yeah. You just have to type it into our handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And I said handy search bar, so that means it's time for listener mail. Uh, you know, they recreated his face, too. That I think that made a lot of press at the time. Yeah, I don't. he didn't seem to look abnormal, though. Uh, well, if you look from the profile, he's got a funny-shaped head, for sure. And it wasn't from rapping. They say it wasn't from rapping. Crazy. They say that's just the, the family head. Have you ever heard of foot binding? Yeah, what is that? Uh, I don't know if it was in China or Japan or both, but um, like in the early 20th century, late 19th century, probably further back, it was considered attractive for a woman to have a foot like a duck, like a triangle. 
So they would bind your feet to, to this, like bonsai, into this shape for years. And right. then eventually you would have this deformed foot that was like the the point of the triangle was your heel. And then it went out into the other two points and there was your your foot. And it was considered very so alluring. Yeah. Um, and it was right outlawed. <laughs> it was definitely outlawed in China. And like you could get in big trouble if your you know daughter was found to have bound feet. Wow, I'd heard of that. I didn't know what it was. Odd, mystery solved. All right, uh, listener mail. Hi, Chuck, Josh, and Jerry. Uh, by the way, Josh, I'm going to call this uh, SYSK saving lives. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Man. Uh, greetings from a longtime listener and your new Atlanta neighbor. I don't think he literally lives next door to one of us. I think he just is new in town. Gotcha. Jerry just laughed at that. <laughs> Uh, I want to take a few moments to tell you how SYSK contributed to saving my friend's life. Uh, back in January of this year, a coworker and good friend of mine, I'm glad he said he was a good friend, because when I read it initially, I didn't see that. Yeah. It's like, this guy gave yeah. up a kidney for a coworker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coworker was diagnosed uh, with end-stage kidney failure. Uh, shortly after, he told me, you guys publish how organ donation works. Yeah. After hearing about how long it might take on the waiting list, and how many transplants were done each year, I decided that the least I could do was get tested. As it turns out, the other members of his family were disqualified due to a number of reasons, including age and medical history. But lo and behold, I was a match. And in parentheses, he says, that'll teach me to volunteer. What a good guy. No kidding, man. He even, like, ribs himself. Over the course of the summer, he and I were run through a battery of tests to match blood type and to prep the anti-rejection drugs. He would need after surgery, and then on October 18th, we did the transplant. I am thrilled to report now, only a little over a month later, both of us are completely, almost recovered and doing great. I would love it uh, if you would encourage anyone on the fence about getting tested to go for it. The process is a little intimidating, but definitely worth it. Also, the unlimited cranberry juice and chicken broth are great perks. And that is Dustin, who gave up a kidney... For a coworker, yeah, and, and you know friend. what? It's one of our long-standing SYSK models mottos: give up a kidney for a coworker slash friend, get a stuff you should know T-shirt. <laughs> so, Dustin, if you want to come down to the office, yeah. we will gladly shake your hand and give you your T-shirt. Absolutely. If you are the type who doesn't like to leave the house, we'll also mail it to you. Just contact <laughs> us via email. If you're like, I'll give up a kidney. Oh, we'll contact you. We have his email. But yes, expect a t-shirt at the very least. And yes. if you want to come by, we'd love to meet you. So thank you for doing that. That's awesome. I mean, that is awesome. So cool. Um, I don't even feel, still be waiting. I don't even feel like a, a bad person or less of a person because it's so colossally out of something I would do for a coworker <laughs> that like, hey, we're coworkers that I, I'd give I, up a kidney for Jerry. I know I would too. <laughs> I know you would. You totally would. Yeah. You wouldn't for me, though, would you? Well, you wouldn't for me either, but we'd both do it for Jerry. It's so. a wash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, I just think that that's great. So thank you for that. If you have a fantastic, amazing story, you want to toot your own horn, that's fine. That's cool, man. You do something like that, you get to once in a while. Uh, you can tweet it to us if you can tell us your story in 140 characters or less. Um, you can tweet that to SYSK Podcast. Uh, you can go on to Facebook and go to facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Or you can send us an email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. 
more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. Childproofing people's homes is hard. But Duracell is making it just a bit simpler. Not only are they committed to educating parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of battery safety, they make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Duracell even features child-secure packaging designed to avoid accidental opening. Learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes.